This podcast brought to you by Hope 103.2. Teaching is one of the most important and undervalued professions in society. We can all think of that one teacher that made a difference to us or even completely altered our life's trajectory. Well, Brendan James Murray teaches high school English at the school he attended and he's just released a book called The School, The Ups and Downs of One Year in the Classroom and he joins us this morning to talk all about it. Morning, Brendan. Morning, Sam. Thanks very much for having me on. Now, tell us about the book and what you hope that it'll do to those who read it. Well, I hope it'll do a few things. Uh, One is that I wanted to, I suppose, challenge that notion that you sometimes hear of of the younger generation being kind of spoiled brats or lazy or or anything like that. So I wanted to share some stories about young people I've met over my years of teaching that have really inspired me with with their strength and with their resilience and with various aspects of, of their stories. I think I also wanted to show people as well what life is like in a modern high school. Uh, there's lots of conversation out there about education, but I don't think a lot of it really gets to the heart of, of what it's actually like on an emotional level for the students and for the teachers. So I suppose they were my two main uh, main aims. Now, you mentioned in that uh, that teenagers often get a bad rap. What, what do you love, though, about being a high school teacher? Do you look for the good in the kids? Definitely. And there's there's good in every single kid. Even, let's say, you might be talking about uh, bullying. That's a, a topic that gets brought up all the time um, in the media, for example, when looking at, at high school education. Even if you encounter a student who's uh, perhaps what we might call a bully or, or exhibiting bullying behaviours. There's always good in them. And the vast majority of students, 99.9%, are just a joy to work with and a joy to, to be around. Now, it sounds like you love what you do, Brendan. I mean, you've written a book about it, so obviously you've got yeah. some passion for, for teaching. But how do you get a room full of diverse kids who are so can be so distracted by screens and all that in mm. this in this modern age. How do you get them all interested and motivated to learn? It's very challenging, and I suppose it's it's probably that that thing that you're not gonna you're not gonna hook every single kid in every single day. I can't remember that quote. I don't know if it's Abraham Lincoln. You know, some of the people, some of the time, all of the people, some of the time, or mm. whatever it is. But I guess. I try really, really hard, one, to know the students, but if you're just talking about, let's say, a a particular lesson, really trying to start with a hook, thinking about engagement, thinking about how you can take whatever you're doing and and make it as relevant to the students as you possibly can. Mm. And as an English teacher, I feel pretty fortunate because I think you can almost always make, uh, make English relevant because we're all communicators and if you're looking at for example, studying a novel that's about people and their experiences. Usually the kids, there's something in there that the kids can relate to on, on a human level and, and maybe apply to their own lives as well. But, you know, when you teach English, there's always those kids who don't want to read the novels and they would <laughs> rather watch the movie. Surely you have to deal with that sometimes. Oh, 100%. That, that's one of the, the most common questions you get asked by kids. Oh, is there a movie of the book? You know, the, uh, the implication <laughs> being there, or is there some way we can dodge reading it? Um, and it is a challenge, and you talked about it or alluded to it with screens and so on. I think we have this massive challenge now as a society uh, where kids are getting so much of their entertainment from screens that they're losing some of that applied focus necessary to, for example, 
uh, read a book, read a novel. Hmm. And the declining literacy rates that, that we're seeing, I think, yeah, of course, schools have got a role to play in that, but it's really a social a social problem, I think. And a big part of that is that kids are being allowed to spend too much time just looking at pictures or, or flipping through things on their screen that there might be text there for them to read, but they never engage with anything in a kind of more extended, focused way. Now, in the book, you actually share that sometimes it's worth bending the rules to foster a student's passion. Um, Do you ever feel restricted by the way schools are run or or what aspect of teaching do you find most challenging, Brendan? Definitely. So let's uh, take, for example, year 12. Because so much focus is put on the ATAR score, so the final score that kids get when they finish the academic streams of year 12, Mm. there's immense pressure on teachers to ensure that they don't divert from the the prescribed curriculum, what's going to be on the exam. And the biggest potential, I think, for, for learning and engagement and passion is actually when you are able to follow sort of a random path that might come up in a classroom discussion that, that you can follow, kind of letting kids lead the way with, with their interest. And it, it is a bit of a shame at the moment that there's such a focus, I think, on on data and results and ATAR scores that mm. as a year 12 teacher, I do kind of at times feel like you feel the kids' passion drawing them somewhere, but you know it's not going to be on the exam, so you sort of have to pull them away from that. And that can be quite a sad thing as as someone who's passionate about learning. There is a lot of pressure on teachers, and I think it's easy for parents to forget that. And, you know, especially when, you know, someone might look at your job and think, oh, you get all those holidays all year round. Yeah. It's not all that hard, really, is it? But it is quite quite a lot of load on, on you and your cohort. Do you think that we ask too much of teachers as parents? Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that we ask too much. It is. We should be asking a lot of teachers because it's such a position of responsibility to to be looking after people's kids and and in some ways playing a significant role in in what the future will be like. Because of course our kids are our future. Mm. The the workload one is an interesting one. People talk about how much teachers work, and and for a start, I mean it varies from from teacher to teacher, from subject to subject. You, you can't kind of boil it down to oh. As you sort of hinted out there, people talk about the holidays and things like that. And um, I think the real load and, and what I try to show in the book as well is regardless of all those debates we can get lost in about workload, the significant load that teachers have to carry that doesn't get discussed enough, I think, is the, the emotional load, the emotional burden when you care about your kids. And that's even heavier if, for example, you're working in a disadvantaged school or, or a school where there are students who've experienced trauma and frankly that's virtually every school. Mm. So we need to talk more about that and people coming into the profession need to understand that it is a very emotionally demanding job because who could be more vulnerable than than a child and and it's our, our job to, along with the parents and others, but it's our job to care for those young people. Yeah. I mean, along that track as well, schools can be hard for kids who are bullied. And and you mentioned that uh, in in the book that you uh, were bullied in high school yourself by an older and physically violent boy named Jude. Mm. Um, Why didn't you tell your teachers or parents what was going on at that time? Because I know that a lot of students don't. I myself was bullied and and I feel like I was the same. But what Mm. was it for you that you uh, share in the book? 
Yeah, I mean, as you would know yourself, it's it's such a complex thing. Why might something unpleasant or, or horrible happen to a child and why might they not tell anyone? Mm. And for me, I sort of go around and around in circles about it, but I, the best I can say is I think it was fear. I think there was this sense that ultimately, in my mind, it was like this, this bully had more power than the teachers and that if I were to to tell a teacher what had happened or tell my parents and then I'd spoken to the school that ultimately the school wouldn't be able to protect me from what he might do as sort of repercussions for that. Hmm. Whether or not that was true, I don't know. But I think when you're a young person, the event you refer to, I was pretty young, I was sort of 12 or 13 at the time. Uh, you, you, I think can get into a, a place where you, you're quite intimidated and, and you feel like maybe you'll be safer if, if you just keep your mouth closed. And of course, that, that's an awful thing. And, and as adults, whether we be teachers or, or parents or, or whatever, we need to think very hard about how we can, we can get kids to talk to us about things that, that uh, we might be able to help them with. I imagine for you now teaching at that school and walking around the same schoolyard where you were bullied as a kid, I mean... You would, I imagine, be wanting to make a change for the new generation of kids to make sure that bullying isn't part of the schoolyard. Definitely. I think, I remember, it's a funny thing, I remember talking to a doctor once who'd been very, very, very sick and had nearly died when he was very young. And he said to me that one of the best things to him being a doctor was being sick when he was very young because he had that patient's perspective. And in some ways, having experienced some level of bullying as a kid, I feel that it that it's maybe made me a bit more empathetic or or a little bit more of uh, a teacher who is kind of keeping an eye out for bullying and, and trying to challenge it. So you're right. It, it's still very, very hard uh, because of, well, one, kids might not be telling us. Um, two, it might be hard to engage with the bully or the bully's parents. And when I say bully, we try not to label kids in that way. I'm, I'm more talking about a kid that is exhibiting bullying behaviours, we would say. Mm. But you're quite right. I mean, all of us, I think, in life draw on our experiences, the things that maybe haven't been that pleasant for us and, and try to make the world in which we live a world that, where those things are less likely to occur. In the, in the book, you acknowledge that, um, and I quote you here, kids don't speak up when something's wrong. Adults need to notice. Mm. How can we best encourage young people to speak up? Yeah, I think, well, it's really the, the first step, I think, is talking to kids all the time about lots and lots of things. So having that open communication, uh, and this might be, for example, um, putting the phones away or, you know, it sounds like a cliche, but maybe yeah. having, you know, having dinner at the table, all those kinds of nuts and bolts things that whether, you know, your teenage kids like it or not, create an environment where those conversations are more likely to occur. So we've got to, I think, try to be focused on our kids um, and not allow ourselves to be focused on, for example, our, our jobs, which all of us do. I mean, it's inevitable, like myself included, like my wife and I talk about, you know, how distracted we can become by, by work and things like that. Mm. Um, and in terms of noticing, I think it's, it is really hard Parents, of course, do become attuned to, to their, their kids and maybe sense when something's not quite right. 
I don't have the, the easy answers to all these questions, but I, I think the, the first step is just being aware of it, opening those lines of communication and, and being as focused on what's really the most important things in our lives, which are the, the you know the young people that, that we care about. Teachers are so important and, uh, you know, especially in high school, you, you know, you're seeing kids grow up from being, you know, t- teens or not even quite teens to just about adults. And yeah. I imagine that you are, you're, you're developing relationships with them as they grow, you're building trust along that time. But, you know, there are times when students fall through the cracks or they might drop out. How, how do you feel personally when that happens? It's something that I find quite hard, particularly if it's a kid who I might have taught a few years in a row or I might have felt that I've developed quite a good rapport with Hmm. um, because it might be you've got a good rapport with the kid or whatever, but but for whatever reason, either things that are going on in their life or their family, um, they find it very hard to engage with school. Maybe they're absent a lot and then then maybe they'll, they'll disappear from formal education and you're kind of unsure what, what has happened to them. So it's something that I do find tough and I write about that in the book. It's part of that emotional burden. You need to, of course, though, recognise that these are really, really big, complex social problems and it would be naive and maybe even a little bit sort of arrogant at times as an individual teacher to think, you know, I'm going to be this big hero and fix all these kids' mm. problems. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it is it is a difficult thing that, that we all kind of manage in our own ways. Now, last year when we hit that time when schools were shut down right around Australia and uh, you know different states had different policies and even more recently, you know, Victoria's had to shut uh, their mm. doors on, on, on kids because of lockdowns, um, we've all realised how much work teachers do and, and also the value of a really good teacher. I'd love to know as we finish this chat, um, what exactly is or what is the most rewarding part of teaching for you, Brendan? I think the most rewarding part for me is when you see a student kind of light up with that sense that they've overcome something or they've they've understood something or or just had a, a moment of achievement and it might be quite a, a small moment of achievement because sometimes unfortunately some kids will go for very long periods of time in their lives not having a personal sense that that they've achieved much or or always looking around at the people around them and maybe feeling like other people are, are doing better or, or whatever it is. And as teachers, we, we do have that opportunity every single day to give a kid a feeling that, that they've achieved something or, or that they've done something that, that they can be really proud of. And and I really enjoy that, even if it's only a, a tiny, tiny little moment. And, and I try to focus on those things because another thing we say in teaching is it can be easy to... Um, to focus on the negative aspects of the job and and so we need to remind ourselves that there's this good stuff happening all the time that we need to enjoy. Mm. Well, Brendan James Murray, or maybe I should call you Mr Murray? (laughs) Brendan's fine. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Brendan James Murray, it's really been so good to uh, talk about teachers and the value of teachers and I hope you know that you're really valued as uh, so many teachers across Australia and have been for many, many years. The book is called... The School, The Ups and Downs of One Year in the Classroom, and we really appreciate your insights into it all on Hope Breakfast this morning, Brendan. 
Thank you very much. All the very best to you. Thanks for listening. Start your day with life words. Subscribe to Hope 1032's free daily email devotional at hope1032.com.au.